0: How is everyone this morning? A little different crowd I'm speaking to. I've been back there with the children for the last two months, all of your children. Looks like you've grown up quickly in a week. So you're going to have to excuse me. I'm kind of looking around for everybody's name tags. Make sure you have them on. If I do like that when you start talking, just excuse me. And uh, if you need the bathroom, go ahead and go. You don't have to raise your hand and ask. Just lead your way out. It's a privilege to, to be able to minister to your children. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor to come up here and be able to share my story. Ben asked me pretty much share my salvation story and how God brought me along and kind of rescued me out. And my prayer is that after today, you will still send your kids to children's ministry. <laughs> so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do love you. <clears throat> just thank you for the opportunity to come and just bring glory to your name because that's what this story is. It's... Uh, It's about my efforts to mess my life up and then how You rescued me. So I just pray that You would help my words be clear. I pray that You would help me to communicate that and just bring the glory to the rightful place which is in Your hands. And I just say, thank You, Lord, for being such a great God and Your favor and Your grace in my life. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so I think you know a lot of people that come from rough past like to forget their past, and they like to put those things away. Just any kind of bad situations or uh, traumatic situations in their life, they like to forget it a lot. But I'm a firm believer. I think there's certain things that are good to forget, but I also think that there's things that we should never forget. An example is you know I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. And then I moved to Florida to go get help. And Florida is just a very special place for me. It's kind of where everything started in my life. I uh, met the Lord and walked in salvation, and he, he changed my life. But I also met my wife there. And it's just special. Every time we go back to Florida, we get to see all the different places, you know, the first place that we went on a date and the first walk we had on the beach. We get to see the house where we had our first child and the place where we had our first kiss. And I think every time we go, the fireworks are still going off right there, right? And um, those are memories that I just want to cherish, and I don't want to forget those. And it, it reunites something in us. And then there's other things that are kind of good to forget. Lately, um, we've been watching family videos. We had, uh, back when our first kid was born, the new thing was these camcorders that had the mini DVD player, mini DVD disc in them. it was like the cool thing, you know, those kind of things were getting smaller and we videoed. And over time, the camera broke and you were supposed to finalize the disc on the camera uh, in order to watch it. So the camera broke and I've been having them just in a box and Danielle has been on me for years to get them so we can watch them and finalize them. So I finally did it. we have been watching and as you start to see these memories, you start to just remember how cute your kids were and... All the memories of them and their first time they walked and smiled and just everything is so cute, right? And you start to think to yourself, why didn't we have more of them? Why did we stop? And then you kind of remember, oh yeah, there's a bunch of things that are edited out of these videos, right? Those long nights and those spit-ups and all those things. So God kind of helps you forget about those things in life and gives you the gift to do that so that you can have more children. Although some people forget quicker than others, and he's laughing right now, right? (laughs) You've got a very short-term memory loss, Dom. (laughs) No, but there's something in my life that's extremely important for me not to forget. And uh, it's when God rescued me from the depths of my sin. And that time when I cried out for help, and he came to my rescue, because there was a time in my life that nobody was giving me a warm welcome to come in. and you know, They were happier to see me go than to come, right? And, uh, you know, I just think it's very important for me to remember that time when I cried out to the Lord and He came through to me in order for me to stay content, in order for me to stay grateful, and in order for me to continue to walk in God's purpose in my life each and every day. And, and I admit, sometimes it's easy to forget that. Not so much of where I came from geographically, but where I came from mentally and emotionally and most of all, spiritually. And uh, I believe that's why Jesus says, he, when he broke the bread and he had communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Not so much of just the meal, right? But he was wanting them to remember where they were. Because if you look at each and every disciple, Jesus just walked up to them and said, hey, follow me. And they dropped everything and followed him. So you have to kind of look at where were they at in order to do that in their lives spiritually. Obviously, there was something they felt they were missing in their life in order to drop everything and run. There was, there was some unfulfillment in their life in order to do that. And I believe with all my heart, that's what Jesus is saying. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember where you were whenever I called you into my plan and purpose for your life. And I think when we read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we constantly see that God's people forgot quickly, didn't they? And it gets very repetitive of the story of them crying out to the Lord. He rescues them. And then all of a sudden, they turn their backs and the false idols and the worship and all that kind of things. And it starts to get uh, exhausting, doesn't it? But I believe the most repeated and remembered story in the Bible In the Bible is God freeing the Israelites out of slavery. And that story holds a very special part in my heart, even though it was thousands of years ago. It's very personal to me. And the reason is because I can relate to slavery. And yes, I wasn't in Egypt as a Hebrew slave, but I was in slavery to myself and in slavery to addiction. You know, a lot of people just don't understand addiction and how it works. It's like, just say no, right? And that's what everybody kind of thinks that's never been an addiction. And I don't, I don't expect you to understand addiction because in reality it doesn't really make sense. But you don't really start off addiction saying, I want to be an addict, <laughs> and I want to be trampled on and throw everything good in my life away, obviously people around you tell you that's where it's going to get you, but there's something in you that thinks, well, that's not going to happen to me, right? And like all sin, it kind of starts off fun and interesting. And it's the cool thing to fit in, right? And you get you looking for popularity and different things, and then all of a sudden it grabs a hold of you and it takes you deeper than you want to go. And, you know... I remember just playing around and just thinking that I was so cool and stuff. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, when I grow up, I'm going to get responsible and do the right thing. I think there was something in my heart that knew the godly life was the right life, but I just wasn't ready for it. In my mind, i seen that as boring. And so I ended up getting tangled up, and this was in the late 90s. And it started to get where it wasn't really fun anymore. And I was probably 19, 20 years old, and I started to see all my friends that I grew up with kind of making some better choices and going off to college and different things. And I seen my life going in the wrong direction, but it was too late. I mean, there was nothing I could do. Yes, there was something in me that wanted to quit. And every week when I would go and do my stuff or uh, go into my addiction, I would think, This is it. I'm done. I'm finished. And then the same thing would happen the next week. And slowly but surely, everything just starts to fall apart. And, you know, my relationships and my family, nobody could trust me, everything. And things started closing in on me. And I remember one night driving, and I just turned on the Christian radio station. I was listening to this preacher, and it's like it was just nailing me right in the heart. And I remember just saying, Lord, if You're real... I just pray that you do something. You do something to change my life. And I don't know what happened, but something, something stuck. He heard that prayer and things didn't just automatically change at that point. But it's like the way that he started squeezing me in is I couldn't get away with anything. I started getting caught for everything and I started getting some legal problems. Uh, You know, friends started departing away that they were running from me or looking for me to get their money. One of the two, but things were getting pretty tough and rough and um you know I started to go to church here and there and of course every time I went it's like the message was directly at me and there was something in me that was hungry for some kind of change I wanted something different but then I would go back to work in the same place I'd go around the same people and it was just this turmoil and really started to make me pretty hopeless like things aren't going to change I'm not going to get out of this and uh of course, things continued to escalate for a few years like this. And then I was, I was home one time, and my phone rang about 4 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it was Buster Dupuy. And I had been up for a couple of days, and I answered, and he began to talk to me. He had just got out of a program in Florida, began to talk to me about getting help. And uh, it's like something just clicked in me. Started looking around and realizing that this isn't what I want in life. You know, this isn't what I dreamed for in life. And uh, so I said, yeah, man, I, I, think, I, I think I'm think i going to go. And, you know, part of it was getting out of Louisiana. People were, were all over me looking for money. I had legal problems. You know, my license was suspended. Part of it was the entertainment of just getting away and running away from my problems. So I hung up the phone. And, you know, it was a day or two there. I was just thinking and processing and... You know, I kind of pulled one of those um, just crazy, uh, crazy things. And I said, Lord, if, if you want me to go, I pray that you would speak to me. So I just grabbed my Bible and I didn't know the word. I didn't I didn't grow up knowing God's word or anything. So I just opened it. You know, one of those faith uh, things that just started reading. And I remember, you know, you can about imagine what God was thinking at this point. He's like. You know, your life is a mess. i just open a door for you to get some help. I'm sure he probably turned to one of the angels and he's like, do we really make them this dumb? (laughs) You know, I mean, he's asking for a sign. You know, does he really need a sign? (laughs) Good thing he's God and I'm not, because I'd probably wipe myself out right there, you know. But with his grace, I remember reading, and I, I don't know exactly where I was, but I remember reading about God taking his people from a land of slavery and bringing them to a new land. And it just stoked up some hope inside of me. And I'm sure that's what the Israelites felt also whenever he was reading, whenever uh, he spoke to Moses and he basically told him that he was going to free him up. I mean, let's look at what he told Moses in Exodus 3, 7 and 8 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he was speaking this to Moses in the burning bush and although the Israelites were a little resilient to do it obviously that probably had to stoke up some hope in them. I know when I read it it stoked up some hope. It's like, well, maybe God will do something in me. But at this point, I didn't realize how God worked. see, I was just looking to escape all my problems financially, legally, and relationally. And I was just looking at salvation of God just cleaning all that up. Boom. You say the prayer and everything is done. Everything is better. And life goes on with the white picket fence, right? Isn't that what Christian life is all about? (laughs) <laughs> I was just waiting for the magic wand to be waved and everything to change. I think I've watched too many Disney movies, haven't I? <laughs> but God wasn't interested in the quick fix. He was interested in developing a relationship with me. And we go on in Exodus. This is after, I mean, you've got to realize this is after all the plagues and all the different things. And God finally uh, sets them free. Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. And look what God says in Exodus 13. He says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. See, there was a shortcut to that promised land. That God could have took them on. And I guarantee you that's what they were looking for. They were looking for, all right, if you're going to take me out of slavery, then take me out of there and just put me right in the promised land, right? And that's what I was looking for. All right, Lord, if I'm going to turn my life over to you and bless you with my presence, right? That's kind of what it sounds like in a sense. As foolish as that sounds, just cleanse me out. Change everything. Let me be spiritual, right? You want me to be like you? You got the power to do that. You love me. I'm your son, you say. So just change me. But God wasn't interested in that. And I struggled with this journey because that's what he wanted. He wanted me to walk in a journey with him and get to know who he was. Because if you think about the Israelites, that's what he was doing. He took them the long way. Not because he didn't have the strength or the power or the capabilities to put them right in the promised land. But he knew that they wouldn't be ready for it that the first battles they faced, they were going to run right back, which they did that, or wanted to do that, anyway. I mean, let's look at one of their struggles here in Exodus 14. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And when you read this, it's like crazy because, look, they just seen all of the plagues that went through Egypt. They just had the first Passover and already they're complaining. And it's crazy that, that you just see this and there's such lack of faith. But yet, what I was doing was the same exact thing. Because I went to Florida about two weeks after that phone call and went into the program at Dunklin'. And boy, the first couple of weeks, I was probably the poster boy in that program. You know, I was doing everything. I had a great attitude. It was like the newness of things. Didn't have people calling my phone looking for me. It's like there was a little bit of freedom from that. But then after that, guess what happens? I showed up. (laughs) What I mean is that stinking attitude, that ungrateful attitude, that complaining attitude, that attitude that got me where I was. And I believe God was okay with that attitude showing up. I believe he wanted to deal with it. But the problem is, is I didn't want to deal with it. I started getting very ungrateful, complaining about the facilities and the people and the food. And kind of sounded like those Israelites, you know. And eventually I started to get rebellious because that's what I've always done. And, uh, you know, the rules are there's no tobacco. So, you know, I had smoked cigarettes before, but I didn't do that. I dipped, right? That's a little better. Uh, And listen, I've never dipped in my life, but I picked up a dipping habit in a place that you're not supposed to dip. So what does that tell you? It was just all about the rebellion and just wanted to do it because I wasn't supposed to do it. And eventually the Lord was faithful and he exposed it. They put me up on a stool in front of the body, which is about 100 people there. and Kind of started telling me about myself a little bit, my ungratefulness, my attitude. And inside I'm thinking, none of that's true. And they said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And I said, yes. And they said, okay, day one. And it was about three months I was there already. And I said, day one, no, you got me mixed up with someone else. (laughs) I'm not doing that. So they said, all right, we'll pack your stuff up and go sit. They have a pavilion out there that they put you at for a little while so you can kind of think about it. Everybody can see you as kind of the the lonely sheep out there. So I was out there in the pavilion just kind of thinking at first, all right, I'm going home and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. The reality is, is God did a miracle in my heart that day. You know, the blinders kind of just came off my eyes and I can't explain it any other way than a miracle And I started to see where my life was really at. I started to realize the mess that I made, the vulnerable position I had put myself in, and I had nothing to go back to but misery. And I kind of just started fumbling and having a conversation with God in a sense. And I remember like, all right, well, Lord, I tried over here. It ain't going to work. And I, I just remember specifically hearing him say, no, you didn't try. You've been doing it your way. And nothing's going to work until you do it my way. And something that day just stuck. And I remember saying, all right, Lord, I got nothing to lose. I've been trying it my way for 22 years. And I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to sell out. And I'm going to allow you to start making the decisions in my life. And the funny thing is, is I almost don't even, didn't even feel like I was all that serious that day. But obviously, something stuck. And I think that was just the miraculous work of God, that he was just waiting for me to say that and kind of make him Lord of my life. Because I remember waking up the next morning and my character so much wasn't changed, but my perception of everything changed. And I began to look around and see everything in a positive light. And, and the biggest thing is I started to see that God just wanted to use all these situations to work things out in my life. And uh, it kind of did just change that I didn't have to be there anymore, but I wanted to be there. And I think at that point is when I really learned to take ownership from my life. If you look back at verse 12, and at Exodus 14, it says this, this is what the Israelites said, said, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die In the wilderness. They just didn't want to take responsibility for their lives. They were okay with being in slavery as long as the Egyptians were feeding them and taking care of them. They didn't want to have to do anything themselves in order to develop a relationship with the Lord or seek Him. And I believe with all my heart, that's what God desires in our lives. That's what He was trying to do in my life when I was over there struggling with that journey is He was wanting me to come to Him and just start to seek Him for all of my answers in my situations. And I started to, to change my perception with that. I started to see that God wanted to use all these things. Like my situations weren't changing. Circumstances weren't changing. But my perception of those were changing. And in that, God began to reveal who He was to me. And the Scripture and His Word started to become real in my life. And I believe that this is what happens whenever we get our hearts set on the Lord. It's like we can start walking through the challenges in life with a good attitude and a good perspective. And God didn't just want to change me, but He desired a relationship with me. He wanted me to seek and trust Him in all of these situations. And I believe at that point is when I really understood that God is more interested in the journey and not the destination. And when I say that, I don't mean that God doesn't care about us going to spend eternal life with him in heaven. I know he does. But that's not the only purpose of salvation is for us to go to heaven, right? But he desires that relationship with us now, and he wants to work in and work out his sanctification process. And at this point, I started to see that. And before, I just viewed salvation as this one-time experience, this one prayer that just changed me and everything was over. But I started to understand what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. You see, and when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it is him who works it out, his will and his purpose. I started to understand what that really meant. He was transforming my belief system. He was transforming my mind in all these situations that I had developed through all these years of what life was really about. And, you know, a lot of people over the years working in addiction ministry say, wow, y'all keep those guys there for nine or ten months. What do y'all do, brainwash them? And my answer is always, yeah, you know, if you ever sat with an addict before, you'd probably realize they need a little brainwashing. Their brains don't think so right. <laughs> and, and, you know, the Bible doesn't call it brainwashing. He calls it transforming of the mind, right? And that's what God was doing. He was transforming my thinking to line up with his and at this point, I was learning what a true relationship with him was about. And it was about the sanctification. And this is what happens in the desert and in the wilderness, isn't it? When we start getting out of our no man's land where our gifts, abilities, and talents can't do it anymore, and we just got to start relying on him, his sanctification process starts to play a role and be inputted into our lives. And James 1, 2, and 4 kind of explains that. It says, This counted all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete in lacking nothing. And there was a sense that I started to embrace the difficult situations in my life. I wasn't running for them or looking for comfort anymore. But like James says, there's almost joy in finding these, not because it felt good, which is what addiction is all about. You want things to be comfortable, and you want to feel good all the time. You don't want to deal with things. But yet, when we walk in with the Lord, and that sanctification process, and that relationship is taking place, I was starting to view all these things as opportunity for God to do some amazing things in me. And after a while, you start to look back, and you start to see some of the fruit, and you start to see some of the heart change that's going on, and you start to welcome it in, in a sense. And I believe that's what happens when we, when we reach our promised land. Because what is the promised land? The promised land is finding rest and peace in the tough situations and in the tough times. Because why? Because our foundation is in Jesus Christ. It is on the rock. And when the winds and the storms come, we will withstand them. And we will walk through them. And that is not what my life looked like before the storms. Uh, it's like just a storm brewing. I was, I was gone. I was out. I wasn't looking to embrace anything. But I think making Jesus Lord of my life was definitely not the finish line, but it was just the starting point, right? It was just the beginning of the journey. And I kind of look at it like marriage. You know, I think we all go to weddings, and everybody puts so much into the ceremony, and the marriage uh, ceremony, and the beginning, and all that, which is fun. It's purposeful, right? We always want to remember where it first started and where the vows are, and invite the Lord in. There's some specialness to it, but all of us that are married realize that that's not everything to do with a marriage, is it? And as we grow together in marriage, and we start to love each other on this journey, we start to realize that that really wasn't all that important. Yes, it's a great reference point, but marriage is a whole lot more about making memories as we go, and and, and God developing us as a husband and a wife, uh, or having us being trained by our wives, right? And it's more about the journey than the initial thing. And I know I can read my wife's mind right now. I've still got a lot of desert to go. (laughs) We ain't there yet. Thank you, honey. Appreciate it. (laughs) But, same thing with salvation. It's not about that one prayer we make at the beginning. That's just the beginning, right? That's the starting point. But there's excitement in the journey. There's excitement in developing a relationship with the Lord. And, you know, you read Scripture and somewhat kind of understand it, but then God walks you through it and makes it real and personal in your life. That not only do I see Him as faithful here, but I know He is faithful because of what He's walked me through. Everybody with me? At this point... I began to realize that salvation wasn't about God removing the challenges in my life. But it was about Him really working out that sanctification. It was about me calling upon His name. And at this point, you know, I was at Dunklin' and uh, things were going well. I was kind of going through the program and not fighting it anymore, but kind of fighting for it in a sense. And I remember... At the beginning, looking around at all the staff members there and saying, Man, these guys are kind of some losers. You know what I mean? Like, they're just here because they got nowhere else to go. But after this, like, my whole perception changed. I started to look at them and I started to look at their families and realizing that, Wow, these are families. I didn't grow up in a house like that. And I started to see how they ministered to situations and struggles and shared their insights of what God was teaching them through their struggles. And I really started to admire what was going on in their lives. And it's like everything in my life, all my dreams and my, my expectations of what I wanted in life just kind of started to fall away. And all I wanted to be was a part of what God was doing in my life. It's like there was so much freedom going on on the inside of me that everything else just started fading away. And I remember I was there uh, probably about two years at the time. It's, it's about a three-year journey to get on staff there. And you don't get paid for those first three years, so you kind of just got to find side work here and there. So I was doing some flower beds at the founder's uh, wife's house down the road, the founder and his wife's house down the road. And I had a bicycle that my roommate in the program had gave to me after I left, and the back rim ended up getting bent. So when you'd ride it, it kind of <laughs> kind of move like that, you know? like you were dancing down the road. And uh, that's all I had to my name. I'd make $40 a week, didn't have a driver's license, didn't have a car, wasn't married at the time. I didn't have anything in in the world's eyes. I was pretty much a deadbeat loser. But I remember riding my bike down that road and there's these big live oak trees and they cover the road. It's real beautiful. And I remember just spreading my arms out and just worshiping the Lord. And there was just so much contentment and gratitude for where I was in life. Not because I had money, not because I had a car. I didn't have anything in the world's standards. But I knew I was exactly where God wanted me in my life. And that was the most content I have ever felt. I felt like the richest man in the world at that point. And because of that, I just committed my life to the ministry, and I was in it. There was nothing else in life that I wanted. And those are the times and the lessons that I need to remember in life. Because the minute I start forgetting those things, I start taking my trail back to that land of slavery. And the minute I start remembering those things and they stay fresh in my heart of where God rescued me from and where he took me out of, there is a freshness in my relationship with him. There is a a gratitude and an excitement for everything that he's doing. And I didn't do these things in my own life, I promise you. I've seen what I did with my life for 20-something years. I destroyed it. All my talents, abilities, and opportunities, I messed up pretty good. And I believe the Lord wants us to remember that. Look in Deuteronomy five, fifteen. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day, why? He wanted them to take a day to remember. Remember where you came from. Remember what I did. I think this story is so profound in my life that day that he was speaking it when I opened that word. It's like I didn't have a clue what I was reading or what I was getting myself into. And if I did, I probably would have messed it up. But God had a plan and purpose. He knew what he was doing. And he he was faithful to do that in my life. And at that point, there was just so much gratitude just for the freedom in my life. I just felt released like i had never felt like this in my life before that all i wanted to do was be a part of what god was doing and every opportunity i had i just wanted to serve him and i was getting involved in some different things kind of finding my place in ministry and that's when i I started to realize that the gospel gives us purpose and that is something that i had missed for so long so i mean what is that purpose that purpose is um is just wanting to be a part of what he's doing to follow Jesus. And I had tried to fill my life so many times with things that were of the flesh, thinking that that was going to make me happy and I always ended up just empty. And then eventually now I was, I was working in the ministry. I was, I was just trying to be a part of what he was doing, allowing him to do what he wanted in me. And there was just so much fulfillment in my life that it's really unexplainable. And the biggest thing is I wanted other men to feel or experience the freedom that I was experiencing myself So I began to find my place in the ministry at that time and really started to see that every time that I would do or serve or help, there wasn't any kind of selfish hooks in it. And it was really kind of amazing because I had never been like that in my life before. Everything I did, there was some kind of expectation or something I was trying to get out of somebody. And you just start to see that, wow, God is really doing something in me because this is not who I was. And it sounds kind of crazy, but that's just the truth. Um... And I remember I just, God would put different opportunities and responsibilities in my life, like I got married, and then we ended up having a kid, and all these things were just kind of growing me up. And it was just a different approach to these. It was really more about what I can bring to a relationship than what I can take out of them. And I believe that's what the promised land is all about, right? Is that when we can start to focus on it's better to give than to receive. And it's just kind of crazy, you know, I wasn't doing these things. I was involved in children's ministry and youth group and teaching in the classes. And, you know, pretty much anything I can get my hands on, I I had time. So I was just enjoying being a part of ministry. But I wasn't doing all these things to try to earn my salvation. But I was doing them because of salvation, right? I mean, we can read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You know, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may, may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So at this time, I was serving in the ministry in Florida. Uh, I was there for, I think, about nine years. We were married, had our first kid, and an opportunity uh, came up to come to Homa and help Buster here at a place of restoration. And at this point, I I, I didn't have any intentions to move back to Louisiana. I was living in South Florida, and uh, it was pretty nice over there. You know, it was beautiful, beautiful beaches and everything, and lots of great places for us to have date nights. But, uh, But God had a different plan. I had came one time to a fundraiser he had and spoke at the Civic Center. At that point, there was nothing in me that wanted to move back. But God began to use some situations and start to change our hearts. And uh, eventually we found ourselves here in Homa, Louisiana to start up a place of restoration. And I'll be honest with you, the first few years here were tough. Getting the place going, I wanted to quit a lot of times, but God had taught there for on that journey how to tough out the tough storms. And because of that, we have had the opportunity to see so many men reunited to their families, husbands become husbands again, sons become sons again. And... Um, There's nothing better to be a part of a ministry when you see people's lives get transformed like that. That when they come, you see the hopelessness on their face and God really do some amazing things in their lives. And uh, He is in the business of changing lives, isn't He? So, at that, you know, I was content with being in addiction ministry for the rest of my life. I I felt purpose. I felt uh, I was walking in God's calling in different things. And I just felt like I was, that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Felt like I had the best job in the world. And then I guess it was about six years ago, an opportunity came to do the chapel at Homa Christian School. And it was kind of crazy. Danielle and I were talking about it the night before, and then Jimmy goes up to her the next day and says, hey, do you think uh, Kevin would want to do the elementary chapel? And we're like, wow, you know, this is amazing. So we started doing that, and I just you know started to see just the purpose in ministering to children. And getting them at that early age before their belief systems are developed or while their belief systems are getting developed and filling them up with some good stuff. Because we all know that the world is after our children, don't we? And everything you watch and everything is just geared to them to try to wash their brains of everything and just feed them a bunch of bad things. So I just started to see the purpose and see how hungry they were for God's Word and His Gospel. And it, it would just ignited something in me. And uh, Danielle and I began to ponder on the thoughts of being uh, in children's ministry. And we didn't tell a single person. We just prayed about it and said, well, Lord, you know, look, I never had to push my way in anything. If it's you, you know, you open the right doors and it'll happen. And a few years after that, I I had lunch with a a pastor in Thibodeau. And he offered uh, a position to, to run children's ministry at their church in Thibodeau. And uh, just didn't feel like it was the right door. I mean, we were grounded here in living word. This was our family. Um, had no intentions on leaving. Just didn't feel like it was the right door to open or, or that for us to walk through. So I passed it up. And then it wasn't but a few years after that that an opportunity opened up here. And Danielle and I were just so humbled by that. It's like just watching God's hand come through and opening the right doors for us. And we just see it such a privilege and an honor to be able to minister to your children. Um, our mission statement in the children's ministry is equipping children with biblical truths, with the love of Christ, in an engaging and creative way. And how do we do that? Well, we, we minister to them in that room over there. We don't just do babysitting. But we preach to them. They hear the word. They hear the truth in some fun, interactive ways. And look, my vision and my goal is that your children will beg you to come to church. You know, Because I know when I grew up, um, church was boring. And I don't want that for kids. I don't want them to have that negative vibe of what church is. So we have fun in there. We do some creative things. But also they are hearing the truth of God. And we're filling them up with some good stuff to where they will be ready and they will know the truth and they will know lies. I promise you. So, how can you help with this? Well, we have a new curriculum that we we just started not too long ago. And to be honest with you, it's a pretty deep Bible study. Most children's curriculum is a 52-week course and they go through the Bible in a year. This one takes three years to go through the Bible. So your kids will go through the Bible in three years. And it's pretty much breaking things down and specifics. And it's not just hitting the big stories of David and Goliath and uh, Noah's Ark and all that. But it's hitting all of the stories. And think about that. In three years, if your kids go through that Bible on those levels, where they would be? It's pretty impressive, isn't it? I know I didn't have that growing up. But we also, part of the curriculum is that there is a family devotion that goes along with it. And the family devotion, this is a one-year book, and there's a new book for each of the three years. And what it is, is it's five days out the week, and you can do a family devotion with your kids, and it's basically on the same lesson we learned, just some different things in it, some different uh, discussions. But think about that. If church isn't just on Sundays for them, or Sundays and Wednesdays, and through the week, you're kind of going over 10, 15 minutes, it's going to stick, and after three, ki- three years, your kids will be biblically founded. So we will be selling these books, and we're selling them for the price that we got them for. They're $20 for the book, $20 for the year. And I don't know what better $20 you can spend for your family, right? And even if you're busy, I understand everybody's busy, even if you don't do all five a week, if you do two or three of the devotions a week, it's still going to be kind of some review and sticking in the minds of those kids because if they're not doing this, they're going to be watching TV or video games, and that's going to be sticking in their heads, right? So, we're going to have these up at the kids' check-in desk. If you want to purchase them, you can purchase them. Um, If we run out, I will get more, I promise you, but I really encourage you to do this. Have it as your family. Be a part of it. Try to build these kids up. You know, I was looking at some of Matt Samahal's pictures. He was showing me a about a month or so ago, and just all the kids that they had the opportunity and families to minister to, and now they're watching all those kids grow up and they're adults now. And what a privilege, right? To see the people that you've been ministering to and the kids that you've been ministering to growing up and having their families and bringing their own families to church. And that's our vision. It's a long-term vision. But if we can get them grounded now, get them in the Word, finding their place in ministry and church at a young age, Hopefully they won't have to go through the things that I went through, right? In order to find the Lord, because I believe there's a better way. But we also need some help. You know, here's the punchline, right, that y'all been waiting for. Nobody leave. Uh, If you want to be a part of this, we'd love to have you part of our team. And you don't have to be this great teacher, this Bible expert or anything like that to be a part of it. We have different positions all the way from nursery workers rocking babies and just loving on them kids so people can come and hear God's word in here to the older groups and eventually just teaching some Bible lessons, which we have the curriculum all laid out for you. And we will help equip you to the best that we can to help you be successful in there. But what a privilege. You know, you you sign up for things a lot of times to serve, but you don't feel like you serve. And it fills you up more than what you think you're giving to someone else, right? Because that's just what God wants us to do. He wants us to be interactive. He wants us to be a part of it. So, and then if you don't feel like being in a kid, in a a room with kids, I get it. So we have the front check-in desk that you can check kids in, right? So you have no excuse, so once we, once we pray out, you can just make this line right here, right in front of my wife, and we'll wrap it around, and you can just sign up right then, I'm just joking. But now, if, if you feel God tucking on your heart to be a part of children's ministry, we'd love to have you part of our team. We'd love to be incorporated and really make an impact on these children. Amen? So why don't you everybody stand up. I want to just pray for our kids today in children's ministry. I just want everybody to be in agreement with us. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We do just thank you for your grace and mercy personally in my own life, God, just for rescuing me out of my stupidness and just your grace and your love. I thank you for plans and purposes that you have for each and every person in this room. I thank you for the plans and purposes you have for them children in the back rooms right now. And I just pray that you continue to fill them up with your truth. And I pray that it would stick, that they would realize and know that you are better than anything the world has to offer. So I pray that you anoint each and every person in that children's ministry. I pray that you anoint each and every mother and father to continue to minister to their kids and show them a better way than what the world has to offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank all of you for coming today.